The Dane and Derek Show is an uncensored, unfiltered podcast. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Hello and welcome to The Dane and Derek Show, a podcast where two nerdy friends attempt to keep in touch and shoot the shit. I am Derek, a writer, director, and occasional D&D player, and with me, as always, is the one and only Dane Fogdell. Hey, I'm Dane. I'm a writer, musician, and podcaster, and I'm a lover of tabletop RPGs. Uh, this episode, we uh, ha- came up with the idea a couple weeks ago um, about the topic of dialogue. And so for our icebreaker this week, uh, Dane, what is your favorite line of dialogue ever? And if you don't have it yet, I can go first. Oh, no, I have it. Oh, I have it. <laughs> Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, done. So good. So good. So good. Love that line of dialogue. It's the whole character uh, distilled. It's a funny line. It's a meaningful line. It's arguably the climax of the movie. And it's repeated like eight or nine times and it doesn't get old. It gets better. Um, And it's also kind of in some ways the pinnacle of what dialogue can be to me. So um, which I can kind of get into later. So I'll just I'll let you go and I'll explain a little bit more why it's kind of the pinnacle of dialogue for me in some ways. Sounds good. Uh, I had a really hard time with this one, uh, cause as people know, I'm not the biggest fan of dialogue just cause it's so hard to get right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, if I had to pick at the end of the movie, boy, one of the characters asks their dad, how is Japan? And after going through that whole 90 minutes, hearing that question that is completely absurd, given everything that's happened to them. It leaves you with a sense of warmth and comfort that uh, is surprising after watching the movie. So mm. that's for, yeah. Yeah. Which, going into dialogue, <laughs> uh, I, having a dialogue about dialogue, um, I, I found that almost all of my favorite lines are accompanied by a lot of space between actions or the dialogue is less important than the expression on the actor's face before or after what is said. Like another example that comes to mind is, uh, I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. What, what makes that scene great is because he throws away the lightsaber and stands defiant in front of the emperor in episode six. It's, it's not that he says that line, you know, what about you? What are your opinions on dialogue? So I adore dialogue and to be clear, I adore dialogue in basically any medium. And also on top of that, I, as a writer, I enjoy writing dialogue over any other part of writing. I would rather write dialogue than description of a situation such that um, I sometimes worry that my writing is, is too heavy on that. And that I, it's, 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 I'm not even sure that dialogue is necessarily even my strength. I'm not sure I'm all that good at it, really. The thing, I, I just enjoy writing it. And I enjoy listening to good dialogue. And the thing that I like about dialogue, um, anyways, there's a series of movies that I can't remember uh, the the titles of, 
Um, but the whole movie is basically just one long conversation between two characters. Oh, the, the Before series by Richard Linklater. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Before Sunrise, Before Sunset. And Before Midnight? Before Midnight. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank goodness. So those movies, their dialogue, I actually don't particularly care for. Uh, the, that dialogue is often, it's not stilted by any stretch of the imagination. In its own way, it's impressive and cool. But it's not my, like, what I love that dialogue can do. It is trying very, very hard to be realistic. And I actually don't care for that. I don't super care for overly realistic dialogue. Um, you're never going to recreate it. You, you can't. And you can't do it while uh, uh, conveying a, a good story. For example, potentially Derek just edited out about two to three uh, 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 uh's, right? <laughs> because that's annoying and it doesn't actually help convey what I'm saying. Uh, that might be gone. It might not be. I don't I don't properly know. But well, yet you, you the listener would know. But anyways, uh, the thing about actually spoken language and conversations is it's really messy and it's not conducive to storytelling in any medium dialogue is like the perfection of speaking in a sense when done well it's it's the things you can't actually say with the proper timing there's no perfect joke you don't get to say the perfect comeback line you don't you don't get to say to 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 give the the perfect speech at the right moment right but in dialogue, you can make that happen because all storytelling is about um, telling the truth and not giving the facts, if that makes sense. You're trying to convey a true moment, a true feeling, but you're never really going to fully con- convey exactitude of any kind. And so I often find the attempt to do so, to, to try and create dialogue that sounds super lifelike, is... It tends to land poorly, whereas if you try to give your dialogue life, it often is much more magical and in some ways much more real. And so like, like the line I said, like, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. It's a perfect line to me because it's unbelievably true. There are moments in life where someone has just deeply wronged you. And there's nothing they can say. There's nothing they can do. They might not even know who the fuck you are, but you hurt, but they hurt you. And there's just this like feeling over and over again. And you're never going to be able to say the right thing in that way, but it's captured in that moment. And also it's hilarious. It's hilarious as it repeats. And then near the end, when he keeps saying it after he's been stabbed seven times, it then becomes moving. But that's not a real thing that anybody would ever say. So my opinion on dialogue is basically it's at its best when it's when it's kind of accepting that whatever's happening in the in the medium, in the book, in the movie, in the video game, it's not real life. And in that way, you can make it much larger than life and capture something. And I really enjoy the I, I personally just enjoy writing dialogue. But that's not true for you. You and I've had this conversation before. You don't like writing dialogue. Yeah. When I first got on the film, I heard the expression that if you can say it in a page, say it in a line. And if you can say it in a line, say it in a look. And I really took that to heart 
And I still really, truly believe that. But I also think my, my dislike of dialogue came from, I think, being attracted to more visually demanding movies, movies that don't, movies that aren't like before sunrise, before sunset, before midnight, movies that aren't like anything Joe Swanberg, where everything's heavily improvised to sound more lifelike. I was really into like science fiction films and fantasy films and films that, you know, had lots of visual effects and explosions and stuff like that. And so, you know, and there's very little dialogue in those movies. And if there is dialogue, it's usually expositional, which is sometimes, in my opinion, the worst kind of dialogue to have, because then you're just reciting facts. You're not reciting truth, like you said. And I think that that is when I get really tired and bored of dialogue. Dialogue enables you to make truth powerful and to make it perfection and to make it larger than life. I think that there's two camps of dialogue that a lot of artists adhere to. And there's the camp that you and I have just described, but then there's the camp of realism and emulating realism and making the audience feel like it could have really been a real conversation word for word. And I think both are valid approaches. Both have their things that make them interesting. But I have to agree with you that if I'm going to use dialogue as a tool in my arsenal, because dialogue at the end of the day is a tool, like, like any other part of art, if you overuse dialogue, it can be bad just as much as, you, if, as if you underuse it. It's just as much a part of that Swiss army knife that is creating art, especially film. You know, I, I firmly believe that when dialogue is written and spoken and performed or read, it needs to make the audience feel something. It can't just make them listen. It, it, it can't just be words on a page, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And to be fair, I, I, I'm not personally like super against like realistic dialogue, quote unquote. I guess what I'm. I guess what more of what I'm saying is I just don't really believe in dialogue that isn't constructed in some way. Like, even if it is hyper-realistic dialogue with a lots of uh, open space for the actors to improvise and, and work around, right? That's a construction. That's a choice. And in that way, sometimes it also has its own uh, quirks of, of um, larger-than-life ness in a sense because those those films often too often are super meandering mm -hmm. in in ways that even life isn't sometimes yeah. you know and so i think but it's trying to capture that feeling often right it's trying to capture like oh it it's me and so i i think maybe the more accurate way i could say what i believe is your dialogue needs a purpose correct it really does and there's lots of ways to go about it i personally really love larger than life dialogue like uh i love um help me out uh, edgar wright when he, in his films uh, the dialogue and the way it's done there how snappy it is 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 wonderful or wes anderson which is often really understated dialogue mm -hmm. like those like characters will say something just horrifically poignant or painful or dark in just the most monotone quiet way you know and and i love all of that as much as i love um aragorn throwing out a speech in front of the black gates of mordor right like all of those things feel much larger than life to me in the same way that actually before midnight and the before trilogy is also larger than life 
like nobody talks that long mm-hmm. not really yeah like, yeah you know like you need a break like yes and no I, but like in the same hand like it's 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 interesting that way yeah well i guess that's the thing right it's all of these uses of dialogue construct larger than life movies it's just sometimes the dialogue is what's larger than life and sometimes it's the the feeling that's larger than life or the situation or the likelihood of these people meeting is larger than life like what makes you know before midnight in that whole trilogy and all the movies after that that have copied it like so popular is that it's the fantasy of meeting the perfect stranger just as much as you know like luke skywalker giving a great speech or aragorn at the black gates or um you know the end of blade runner all of those are like momentous sort of like the dialogue is the dialogue is almost the thesis in a way right it's the fantasy of being able to say the exact right thing at the right time yeah and it all and and, you know like i said it's all a tool right like you overuse dialogue to describe things to describe things that could be felt or to describe things that could be like in a look or describe things that could be a description or a footnote or an offhanded sentence in a story or you know i i think there's like (laughs) i mean correct me if i'm wrong but as a you know since you are a person that writes novels uh for you instead of dialogue perhaps your swiss army knife is the different vocabulary and and words that you have at your disposal to describe things yeah it's there's a lot of different options um you're talking about how like you can give a look there's ways you can break up dialogue there's ways of of putting dialogue on the page and 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 then there's there is also the choice of when to like there's that old adage of like show don't tell on the one hand that's really true uh show a lot of things but you also do need to tell stuff like let's take lord of the rings for an example right you can't tell every sing or show every single step on an an endlessly long foot journey you cannot do it no one will stick with you you have to tell them the audience the reader that th- they they crossed uh <laughs> they cross some distance and you can you can go into some detail there but you do need to tell them that you don't need to laboriously describe every every moment you know and so figuring out the moments in which to really slow down and zoom in on stuff and when to zoom out and just kind of like gloss over things is something that i personally kind of struggle with and something that i'm i'm trying to get better at and specifically to kind of like circle it back to dialogue because i like writing dialogue so much i do need to work a little harder on personally going back and and taking a look at things like did this really need to be a whole conversation there or did i just want to write a conversation could this have just been a little bit of description and maybe one or two lines and then moved on that whole thing that you're talking about where it's like if it can be a if it can be just a page make it a line if it can be a line make it a right like the, the the constantly cut paring down is something that I have a lot of in my system. Like I, I'm a I'm a lover of short of brevity, um, brevity in 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 basically anything I find to be particularly poignant and beautiful. The one thing I will say, having worked on novel length projects, there are times where you do need to let it breathe, though, too, mm-hmm. uh, simply because that's the medium, right? If you're working on a feature length film or you're working on a novel, it does need to hit a certain length to some extent, right? 
to be fair, I, I do. I believe there are some things that are a little bloated. The average uh, speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy novel. Too long, if you ask me, too long. I think 100,000 pages is, is, or not 100,000, like, I think 1,000 pages is is, is a lot to ask of people. I, I really do. Uh, I think the fact that the average blockbuster is, how long is it now? It's like two and a half? Yeah, like the average Marvel movies, yeah, like two and a half. Yeah, too long, too much. Um, if and somehow the Marvel movies still feel like crammed in and hectic sometimes. Not important. Um, not every, not everything needs to to go to extreme lengths. Uh, but on the other hand, something I also struggle with occasionally is 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 um, letting myself sit in a moment for a little bit. Mm. So there's a lot to. Um, there's a lot to consider with that Swiss army knife, so to speak. Correct. And it, and that's, I think the, the, the interesting part about telling a story is figuring out where are those moments of breathing? Where are those moments of talking? Uh, the example I've been using a lot lately, um, cause I was working on this one short about a party was I can show the audience that the characters are, are at a party that they clearly don't want to be at, but the audience won't know why the characters are there unless they talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I had to really, you know, through like 11 drafts of this short film, eventually I figured out the right amount of words to tell the audience exactly why they're there, why they're unhappy, and to show them form a relationship and friendship over the course of six pages. And right, it's still one of those things where I'm at a point now where I'm rereading it and I'm like, maybe I cut a little too much out of the dialogue. Maybe I need to add a little bit more fluff, but fluff in the sense of the dialogue needs to slow down. Cause right now it's exactly what it needs to be. You, you may not be at the exactly what it needs to be. You might be at the bare minimum. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. I might have exactly what I need to shoot, but I might not have exactly what I need to make the film. Great. Right. You're not, you're not adding fluff. You're adding space. You're adding. Yeah. For lack of a better term, ma, you're adding, yep. you're adding something, uh, by not cutting it. If that makes sense, exactly, yeah. Because that's something that I think everyone forgets is like we're taught to cut and cut and cut, but especially in film, especially yeah, especially in film. Oh, more than any other, more than mm-hmm. any other uh, medium I've ever done anything in, film is the one that believes that more needs to be cut. Correct. Like, but that said, you know. It, people overwrite all the time and people overshoot all the time. And I think there's almost all of the films that I've really liked in the last year or two, those scripts were like two and a half hours long, but those films are maybe 89 to 95 minutes long. Mm. And it just goes to show that it's okay to overshoot, especially if you like plan for it, but know that you got to get things a certain way. Cause eventually you're, you're going to find the story through whittling it down. True. And that's something that like, you know, you can always have more. You can never have, you can never create more from less. And that's something that as, as a storyteller, I've really struggled with because, because I constantly try to cut things down to a look, things like a feature or even a short can end up being so compressed that it's not an accurate representation of what it might actually look like on the screen. Right. And I will say, I will say, um, personally, a philosophy I have as a creator is I would rather be an amazing editor than a fantastic creator. 
if that makes sense. Interesting. Like, I would much rather. Um, so I just finished a, a novel length project. Ooh, uh, congrats. Thank you. I would say. As it is right now. This isn't me being like hard on myself. I, I enjoyed doing it. I liked the story. It's probably not going to go much further than this because it was basically a practice project, but it's pretty bad right now. It's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. But I have it. Right? Like, I didn't go back and edit every chapter trying to make each chapter perfect the first time. I have it. I have the finished thing, and now I can fix it. I would rather have a mess and make it into something lovely than spend forever trying to make things perfect the first time. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, and so like the one thing I, I usually try and get right though, is I try and get the concept right. And I try and get the vibe correct. And the goal, mm. those three things. Like if I can get the concept, the goal and the vibe right on the first try, normally I finish the project. If one of those things is off typically the project falls through for me and i'm like okay gotta move on which actually i'll i keep i keep circling back to dialogue i like dialogue so that's why i keep circling back to it i often approach a project with something in mind when i'm talking about the goal is like in some ways it's like what's the feature of this like what's the what's the focus um some projects dialogue is the draw uh one of my very favorite projects i've i've done in a long time called sin and lavender uh, it's enti- It's mostly about the, the the dialogue interactions between the two main characters. I wanted to just write pretty dialogue that felt very real and conveyed a lot of emotion, mm-hmm. and that would be the thing that the the whole that everything else hung on. Like you don't go see Star Wars for the dialogue, right? Even in the well written ones, you don't do that. You know, it, it hangs on the 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 broader overarching archetypical story and the it hangs on the the, the visuals and the excitement. Right. Like that's what that mm-hmm. hangs on trying to go into going into a project with 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 what the dialogue should be is really important to me, mm-hmm. knowing what what it, what role it should play in the story. As far as like like if you if we go back to that Swiss Army knife, you know, um, metaphor there are some tools in the Swiss army knife that you don't pull out very often uh, just because you don't, you don't need it for, for the particular job you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and trying to, and figuring out which thing is, is the, is the crucial, is the crucial one that you're going to lean on hardest, right? The level of importance to place upon each tool is, is important going into a project, right? Like with this film about like a party you're going into, I would, I would put money on it being really important. Your dialogue, you know, more than a lot of film yeah. projects that 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 could be done because you know there there's there's only so much that can be done visually in a sense right like you're not going to lean on like it's not a short that builds to an action set piece and then ends right it's not a comedy that builds to a very particular joke and then ends correct you know it's it's a it's a you're trying to catch a moment and to catch thoughts and how people are and in film to capture thoughts typically unless you're doing a film where the narr- like a character can narrate you don't the only way to get their thoughts is through good acting good directing and good dialogue and it's very it's very interesting like the next project i want to work on is going to lean 
heavily on dialogue and first person narration. So I I'm I'm trying to make sure that those voices are all right and that when the dialogue shows up it's lovely to to read and lovely to look at on the page. So something I personally like to do with dialogue that is <sighs> unpopular um is I don't like using quotations. Um and I often don't like using too many dialogue tags if you're if you're familiar with that term um oh like he said i said yes okay um because if you do it right you can imply who's speaking uh and you can just alternate you can basically put put like essentially like a paragraph break between uh the the speakers to imply that the speaker has changed and if you've done it right you can you'll know who's speaking in the scene. So I try and limit my use of those. And I, instead of using quotes, I tend to italicize my dialogue genuinely because I think it's prettier. Like I just like looking at it on the page better. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'll, um, I'll have to send you, I'll have to send you some sometime, but yeah. it's these, the tools are in this case are going to be about how I'm doing language more than, coming up with a a super original story, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, Yeah, that that makes perfect sense because, you know, coming up with a super original story is just one part of the Swiss Army knife. Having characters that sound like characters and not Dane 1, Dane 2, Mm -hmm. Dane plus angst clone 3, you know, like, (laughs) you know, having characters that sound like, you know, the characters and their names is, is very important. Yeah. Um, the idea is the idea is to to tell a story uh that's just distinctly in a voice, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so and and because I like dialogue, I really do want to lean into it. Uh this the, the project I just finished is has way more dialogue in it than it needs. I, I think I may have said that already. It's but this next one I would rather the dialogue be a big draw than a quote unquote um thing I'm 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 doing for just that doesn't fit, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. I I want to talk to you about one other one one thing um that we haven't really quite touched on mm-hmm. with dialogue with a with something that uh you and I adore. But okay. So here's my th- my question about dialogue. We talk we we've talked a lot about dialogue in fiction and in film. And we've kind of skirted around it in the sense of like stage performances Uh, share a lot of, they share a lot of similarities with, uh, with film mm -hmm. in particular is dialogue in video games. Uh, Cause it's weird mm -hmm. in relation to some of these others. Like it's performed like it, it's often performed like it is in, in, performance pieces and it's often just read depending on like the scope and age and all these different things of the game like in like in a written medium for example mm-hmm. but there's often player input or in other ways the dialogue often happens without the player's control in a medium about the audience being in control mm-hmm. and i find that very interesting and I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, prior to playing 
Super Giant Games' Bastion, as I stare at my giant poster of the kid on my wall, uh, <laughs> I was pretty, I, I, I had a pretty sheltered view of video game storytelling in that I only had played games where dialogue was very lengthy and you had to read it or listen to characters read it pretty monotonely. But after playing Bastion and, you know, Kid rages a bit, you know, like that's one of the best lines in the opening five minutes of that game where the omniscient narrator reacts to something you do if you dawdle too long and just hit things. And that sort of interaction that, you know, you build with the narrator who's narrating a story of a character that you play is very, very weird, and it makes it feel like you're in a story, it's being told, but you you may or may not have control over where the story goes. And at times, that makes the tension in the game really, really good. And I think that that's an interesting tool that they use to build the drama and the tension. Uh, because there are certain parts of the game where there is no narration. There is no sound. And you're just mm-hmm. moving through the level, and it's nerve-wracking. For sure. There is a lot of games that I think do that now, and there's a lot of games that have gotten really good at the writing. Like, there are tons of games that are you know considered movies, like the Uncharted games, for their writing yeah. and how they do the cinematics and the sort of humor in it. Other games that are like... Like Masquerade of Song and Shadow, if you've played that. I have not. Um, you might like it. It's very much a it's a very like mechanics heavy game that I think you'd like. It's got a great cast, Matthew Mercer's in it. Um, but it's very like theatrical and it feels like you're watching a grand opera almost, in terms of how they conduct the rhythm of the dialogue and the language that they use. I think game dialogue in a way almost has to exist to immerse you because anything you do to take the player out of it like prompting a player to read dialogue can inadvertently pull them out of the experience and pull them out of the game so the more that can be said in game or the more that can make the player feel like they're part of the world through what they're hearing is a really good way to immerse people typically dialogue in video games is it either comes about in like cutscenes, right? Like it comes about in the moment in the cutscenes where you're not really in control. That's kind of the uncharted thing, right? And often the dialogue can be really good in that. Like no, no, no lies. Uh, or in like your Dragon Age, Mass Effect style games, you'll have dialogue trees, which I often find to be very fun and interesting. But they can take away from flow of performed dialogue because like dialogue will happen and it stops dead. Everybody has to pause and wait for you, right? Which is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, speaking of Dragon Age, I think the best di- dialogue in Dragon Age is, comes from your companions who bicker or yep. tease each other or or talk in the background while you're traversing spaces mm-hmm. in kind of like silence. And that's always very funny and good and actually feels really natural uh, because... Because that feels like something that's happened to you, right? You'll be walking somewhere with a couple of friends and they'll they'll like quip at each other or like dig at each other uh, while you're like doing something else and not part of that conversation. And I think that lands really well. Two things I have seen done dialogue done beautifully 
Have you played Oxenfree by chance? I have not. Okay, so it's basically kind of a Goonies, a little bit more on the horror side, uh, kids lost in the woods, something spooky's happening kind of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's kind of close to a point-and-click adventure, so there's not a lot of like um, mechanics, but the main thing that you get control over as a player is dialogue bubbles. But the dialogue bubbles pop up before the other characters are are done speaking. And if you click on the dialogue bubble, you can interrupt them. Oh, yeah. And they're they're I believe my memory serves. They're colored in a way such that, you know, roughly what the vibe is going to be like an angry color or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you get to control the pace of the conversation. So if you want to let them finish talking like a very polite person, you can and then you can like speak. But the other thing is, if you can also miss your moment. You can like if you don't pick quick enough, someone else might start speaking and then your option to speak will go away or halfway through. You can do like a big interrupt. But if you let them finish their whole thought, that interrupt will go away and give you different options. That's basically like the crux of the of the actual game is 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 creating flows of conversation, which I think is awesome. Very cool. Mm -hmm. The other thing is in Persona 5, which is by and large a pretty traditional JRPG. Uh, in dialogue options there are times where you're in a group chat with your friends and you're given the basic dialogue tree option of like here are your choices to respond to the text that you you just got or the the batch of text you just got and it still pauses and waits for you to answer but it felt good because it just felt like texting where you get a moment to think about what you say um and I was like, oh, this is cool. This like catches this captures a type of dialogue in a really cool way. Yeah, I guess in a way, video games kind of amalgamate all the forms of dialogue that we experience in film, fiction, theater and like real life, because it kind of has to immerse you in all of that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And in the same way that I thought um, there was a period of time where the the audio diary was like super big in video games i don't know if you like because like basically because bioshock did it oh yeah um and on the one hand i do really still kind of have like a soft spot for audio diaries and games uh but it, it, it's typically a pretty contrived way of essentially letting a long string of expositionary exposition mm -hmm. style dialogue get given in a way that doesn't break the world or make somebody just talk at you. Um, and so I think, I think it's really, it's really strange world of, of, of dialogue and just for writing in general games, writing for games just seems so, so difficult. Um, it's like three dimensional chess. Yeah, basically. Uh, so like I love watching it change and grow, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I am, I do like your mention of, of, of Bastion where mm -hmm. the, you can take an action in the game and then the narrator responds. It's not quite dialogue, mm -hmm. um, but it is good writing. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe that kind of leads to the other thing that's so difficult about dialogue in games is that dialogue requires interaction right mm -hmm. a true dialogue happens between 
not necessarily equals in the sense, but it requires two participants on the same capability, right? Like you can't properly have a dialogue with someone if you don't speak the same language, you know? You need to find you need to find a way to bridge that gap. Someone needs to learn a language or maybe you pull out a translation app or uh, any number of things. Right. Mm-hmm. In a video game, we were not quite sure how to bridge the gap where the player can truly be in dialogue with the. Um, with with the game in some ways, right, mm-hmm. like. uh in Dragon Age, right, you can't voluntarily just turn to your party members and say something. Uh, you know, like, I think that'd be a really interesting option. You know, difficult to implement, yeah. of course. But, like, for if you're going across the, the, the land, you could just, like, press X or whatever and, like, a dialogue tree would, would pop up where you could just say something. I think that would, might go a long way. Um, yeah. If you can be the one who initiates dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a more free setting, so I'm I'm super interested to watch that grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyways, I love dialogue. That's me. <laughs> yeah, no, I I've come to appreciate dialogue uh, over the years. I I've noticed as I've become more comfortable in my own voice and telling the stories that I've been shifting towards and learning how to use it more of a tool and. I think becoming better at making it sound more naturalistic um, and and less weird uh, or too, quote unquote, uh, Derek. <laughs> um, I think I've, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. Uh, yeah, I think like everything, you know, too much of a good th- too too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. But when used well and poignantly, it can really really make you remember that scene or that moment or it ultimately dialogue helps you feel something. And I think that that's important and that just because you can say it in a look doesn't mean that saying it in a sentence won't make you feel something more. Right. And that there's its own, it has its own art to it, right? Like, um, Vizzini, the uh, the the Sicilian, hmm. at the end of the at the end of the of the the duel of wits, he says, "You only think I guessed wrong. That's what's so funny. I switched glasses when your back was turned. Ha ha! You fool! You fell victim to one of the classic burnt blunders. The most famous of which is never get involved with the land war in Asia. But only slightly less well known is this: never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And then he dies. Right? Like you can't say that with a look. Right? Like there are some bits of dialogue that that convey something else." that you need right like you can't have princess bride without some of the wonderful looks that are exchanged between like um uh uh between um fezic played by andre the giant um and inigo montoya right like they exchange some looks that are amazing that you could never actually properly convey with dialogue but you also can't get across uh vizzini without the dialogue right Um, and so I think it's, I think your, your, your discussion about it being a tool in your box and how you use it and how you weight it being so important. I think that's the, I think that's the, the big thing if you're a creator to be, to be thinking about. And I just personally enjoy the art of, 
of dialogue in and of itself. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah. I think dialogue can be fun. I, I certainly had my fair share of fun writing fun characters with fun dialogue. Um, I mean, not to always hearken it back, but Heroics is a great example of that. <laughs> There's a lot of fun, silly, stupid dialogue that you can't say with a look or that is more funny because you had it said and the character got cut off because they got punched or hit or yeah. stomped on by a giant or something silly. <laughs> Right, right. And I mean, like, that's kind of the, the thing, right? Like, that's the thing to, like, that also you kind of come back to, especially in filmmaking, but in anything, is how these things blend together, right? Like, you were just saying, like, the line is very funny, and then they get punched in the face, and it's even funnier, right? Like, the line I just quoted is so funny, because then the actor just stops talking dead, and then falls over. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. there's also there's also that like like we, we were, we've been talking about dialogue, um, but it's not a separate entity, right? Like dialogue is a part of film. And if you take it out, you, you can't fully separate it, right? Like you can't fully separate um, this specific part um, from different things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think dialogue is often so... focused on especially in film because if you look at a script which is kind of the first form in which a movie exists in some ways uh so much of it is dialogue you know like on the page there are rarely huge blocks of just descriptive text in in the same way that like you can go pages and pages and pages in a novel uh without proper dialogue you know you can go you can go ages in a video game depending on the right game you're playing without hearing a single hearing or reading a single word, you know, like Skyrim, for example, if you, if you do the right thing, not counting like menus and, uh, uh, like pick up this flower, uh, prompts, you are not going to, you're not going to run into dialogue in the same way, but with film and, and like stage plays, you really can't escape it um, without it being a very specific sort of piece, you know, like, like uh, what is it? 20, 2015's Mad Max comes to mind. Very low on dialogue, that movie. Uh, but that's an unusual film, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not even necessarily low on dialogue. It's the main character doesn't really speak, but everybody else speaks quite a bit. That's true. And that's like, and that's an interesting tool, you know, in the sense that you don't necessarily need the main character to speak and you don't necessarily need to have that much dialogue, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think the dialogue in that film is great when it's used, you know, because it, it happens and it's so ridiculous when it happens, but yes yes that one it's just not heavy on quote-unquote conversation mm-hmm. if as a as a plot driver yeah. um what i will say though interesting thing about that movie to me is there there's 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 three sorts of like quote-unquote primary characters that i can think of which is there's protagonists there's point of view characters 
Um, and there's and there are like main characters, mm-hmm. and those are not always the same person, though they usually are. Mm-hmm. Right? This might be a topic for another time, but in Mad Max, I'm fairly certain that our main character and our point of view character are Max, but I'm pretty sure the protagonist is Furiosa. Correct. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should probably talk about that. It has nothing to do with dialogue, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's just an interesting thing um, that I think about sometimes is the difference between those, those things. Yeah. Another time. Another time. And uh, we are unfortunately out of time this week. Uh, but next week, uh, if you swing on by and give this a listen, uh, we'll be talking magic the gathering hell yeah and we'll also be playing a game while talking about it so be prepared for lots of cussing and cursing i'm learning about this at the same time you are this is awesome (laughs) (laughs) it'll be good it'll be good um so yeah that's it for this week uh you can see what movies i'm watching on letterbox at Derek aiello uh and conveniently also at Derek aiello everywhere else uh dane where can we find you and your work uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dane underscore Fogdahl, and you can listen to my show Diceology, like the science of dice on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. You know, I probably need to put my writing somewhere, but I haven't done that yet, and that's on me. Ooh, website time. It's it's that time yeah. of the year. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Thanks for hanging with us. See you later.